0: great places to live but mm. um yeah definitely not the, not the fabest
1: <laughs> the fabest
0: yeah because i mean like <laughs> if you go to western suburbs it kind of just goes like uh it, it it just goes more rural it mm. feels more rural the further you out you go whereas when i was in melbourne i was like this doesn't feel r- <laughs> like really rural
1: no it never does we're really sprawled out in melbourne very sprawled out
0: yeah Whereas I think Sydney is very dense, populous. It's like if you're not in the city – and it's weird. We have a – like, everyone says the class system's dead. Mm. But I'm like, everyone here is a little bit, like, snobby about where they live and what suburb. Mm. And I don't think that's ever going to phase because my partner's family, they live in the Central Coast, which is like an hour – like an hour drive from where we live.
1: Yeah, the Central Coast is beautiful, though. That's such a nice place to live. It's
0: so nice. But, yeah, every time, like – uh, people would be like, "Oh, I live in the Central Coast. There's kind of like this Sydney pressure of just like, Ugh, why don't you live there?" And it's like, it's really nice. Like, why wouldn't you live there?
1: Exactly. No. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's a funny. Um, I mean, I guess I get you. I get that a little bit here. Mm. Um, but I think people. It's almost like they they don't know suburbs as much,
0: mm. so you
1: can't really have that. But I, people know the main ones, like people know Brunswick and Fitzroy and. Torak and Brighton and...
0: um, Yeah, whereas it feels like um, Fitzroy is just like everyone. If you don't know Fitzroy, you're just...
1: (laughs) (laughs) Who are you? That's where you go when your friends come to town. You're like, I'll take you to Fitzroy. We'll go to the naked for Satan.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, one of my friends lives in Brunswick, and every time I go there, I'm just like, oh, it's a bit like Newtown in Sydney. Yeah. Same with Fitzroy.
1: But I think Newtown has become, in my experience, traveling back and forth... Newtown has become more like Fitzroy over the years. Yes. Uh, My experience has been that a lot of people who um, have gone to the inner west in recent years are like, oh, well, this is more like Melbourne now. Yeah. So like the inner west is like um, kind of like making up for, because I think (laughs) Sydney never had that kind of environment um, until, yeah, until the the inner west has started to like expand and get more cafes and Um,
0: You know what the scary thing, though, is like you walk down a street and suddenly you're like, oh, I don't know where to get my coffee. (laughs) And everyone's standing around like five different cafes. And like, how do you choose? Like, how do you know which one next to each other is going to be a good coffee? Because it's like I remember growing up and everyone was like there was one coffee shop (laughs) like, and you'd all accumulate around that place and now it's like every second place is amazing. Is a coffee shop. It's a problem.
1: But it's also um like it makes you feel more cool when you're a local. That's (laughs) that's kind of what I've I loved about living in Brunswick was um I always and even when I I I lived with some people in Erskineville for um Mm. probably about six weeks and then again for three weeks last year. And, um, you get a, you get a local, you get a local and then yeah. you love it and you don't care what the coffee tastes like. Cause that's your local. And, uh, you tell everybody about your local and how great it is, even though you don't know what the <laughs> coffee tastes like. Like I go to a place near me here. I live in Yarraville now and there's a one up the street and apparently the coffee is awful. I, I didn't know. I was just going there cause it was my local. <laughs> <laughs> Someone told me the coffee tastes like shit. And I was like, I'm oh, sorry. I didn't mean to rec- recommend you such an awful cup <laughs> of coffee. but
0: But here it is. Please go there.
1: Please go there. It's my local. <laughs> <laughs>
0: This is the Things We Do podcast, a podcast about film life, television, culture, mental health, and all of that fun jazzy stuff. Today I've got my special guest and friend Jarita Winslow all the way in Melbourne. Hello.
1: Hi, thanks for having me. No, thanks for coming
0: on. Um, so Jarita, when like tell everyone on the internet before we kind of like ask you the questions, tell everyone on the internet in their wonderful ears who you are and what you do.
1: Mm, everyone on the internet, that's a that's a big call. Yeah, Um, it's
0: it's over 7.8 billion people, (laughs) just circulate that number in your head.
1: (laughs) All right, I'm thinking about it. You know how um, the more, like the larger the number, the less you can conceive of it? Yeah. It just seems so arbitrary to me right now. Like, okay, 7.8 billion people, it seems like one person to me. I'll just pretend they're all one person. Yeah, pretend. Um, Hi. Um, 7.8 billion. <laughs> my name is Dorita Winslow, and I am a actor and a, a provisional psychologist and um, occasionally a first AD. I love um, a bit of a film production enthusiast. Um, I grew up kind of all over the place, like Hong Kong, Singapore. Um, my mom's Indian. My dad's Australian. I come from like a very mixed family um and yeah that's kind of who I am like that's a tough question when people ask you who you are yeah I always get a little bit like what do I say well who am I like who am who am I to my friends who am I to me it's a very different thing
0: yeah because that's extraordinary that you've lived quite a already quite an established existence on the planet you know for someone who's traveled around and um were you were you born in Australia and then just kind of hopped around or where were you originally born?
1: I was born in Sydney mm-hmm. Um in nineteen ninety-four. Twenty-seven year twenty-eight years ago now. Yeah,
0: you're two years younger than me, which is <laughs> scary to think that.
1: <laughs> Do you say I'm older than you? I
0: was born in ninety two, so oh, I'm there you go than
1: you. Yeah. Oh, so you're saying that because I've moved around so much. That's a scary prospect. <laughs> yeah, I
0: know. It's a it, you know, it's uh, <laughs> um, because, yeah, you know, like, so you were born in Sydney.
1: I was, yeah. And then I moved to Singapore when I was about a year and a half old. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I lived there for seven years. And then I moved in, moved back to Sydney, lived there for seven years. And I moved to Hong Kong and I lived there for five. And now I've been in Melbourne for about eight years. So I've broken my record. Yeah. Um, and lived here for over seven years. So that's, that's <laughs> new to me. That's <laughs>
0: extraordinary. <laughs> like, I mean, what was... I guess Singapore was just kind of like, was that family work related and um, and your family just moved to Singapore?
1: Yeah. My dad actually um, spent quite a lot of time, because my dad never went to uh, university, but he started working as a delivery guy for um, a company called DHL, which I'm sure a lot of people know. Um, And they kind of, I don't know whether actually he asked or whether they just sent him overseas to Asia. And he spent a lot of time working in Asian countries. Mm. Um, I know Indonesia was a long stint. India, where he met my mom. Mm. Um, he b- worked in Bahrain for a little while. Um, yeah, he, he he lived in quite a few places. And then um, he just became kind of like an expert on delivery and logistics in Asia. And so it made it quite easy for him to move up. The company and mm. yeah, so then eventually he got hired with u p s which is why we we uh, moved to Singapore,
0: wow, yeah, that's awesome because I've been to Singapore it is kind of a very interesting country in terms of like yeah it's it's very culturally you know it it has lots of different' cause, um if you've never been to Singapore, mm. you've got little sections of it which feel like you're walking into other countries and you've got yeah. like it it just you know, Little India was one of my favorite areas. Was just walk around and be like, "What?" Um, and then you know, like I stayed um right near the water. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it was like this little fifty dollars a night kind of hotel, and yeah, it was like the humidity was something I did not expect about Singapore, which is like just because it's so tropical. Mm-hmm. Like, what was it like growing up in such a tropical kind of environment?
1: Oh, um. I actually really loved it. I I even to this day I love I love a bit of humidity and a bit of heat. Um, living in Melbourne's a bit weird because it's probably one of the the lesser big cities, like lesser humid yeah big cities. But that's what I really love about being in Sydney. And I haven't actually been to Queensland that much, but I've heard that it's super humid that there. <laughs> um, I I really loved it. It rained a lot. Mm. Uh but it was always a warm rain, yes, uh, and there's something really nice about warm rain, although I'm sure many people would disagree with me, but I love it
0: a oh, warm rain's the best, yeah I, I remember like the short few days I was there. I was like, this is bliss, mm. um, I got food poisoning while I was there, that was <laughs>
1: how did you do that
0: i I think it was from like the there was a we went to the food court uh um uh, the Bay by the Sands or something. Um, is
1: that what it's called? The big shopping center? I'm not sure. I, like a lot of these things, a lot of these shopping centers popped up after I had left. Yeah. I mean, the Singapore that I remember is a very different Singapore to what it is now.
0: Yeah. It was like Marina Bay Sands kind of thing. It was the biggest multiplex shopping center. You have to walk like 30 minutes to get from one <laughs> side to the other. It's insane. Um, And yeah, my partner at the time and I were over there and I managed to eat. Some, I think it was something to do with the, the how the meat was cooked, but it was from this like um, Indian joint in the food court, mm. and I got absolutely <laughs> so ill. Wow. Um, and but it, it's a shame because I really, I, I, I would definitely go back to Singapore because you know the, the I just think it's a beautiful, beautiful place. But mm. I mean, like, would you? Um, and have you had any opportunity to go back there and sort of revisit your childhood?
1: Yeah, actually my auntie on my mom's side lives there. So we went a few times. I think probably the last time I went there was like 2011. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So haven't been back since then, but, um, yeah, I love, I love going there. It's, it's definitely very Mm. nostalgic. It's a nostalgic place to be, but also at the same time, um, even the year I left, my school actually changed. So they, they moved to a different location and the old school campus, um, I think it either got knocked down or turned into something else. So mm. even after I left in 2000, I think it was 2002, um, I went back to visit friends every now and then mm. and um, every now and then, like, I think I went once, <laughs> twice back to Singapore Um <laughs> And when I went to visit them at school, because that's what you do when you're a kid. You go and visit your friends at school. Um, We went to a different campus. So it was like already had changed. And I think that's Singapore. It's just constantly evolving. Like Marina Bay Sands, I've never even been because that's how new it is. Um,
0: It definitely feels like more of a tourist attraction now than I think... mm. like an actual place where people live Mm. um because the locals you could automatically tell i think one of the weirdest things though was nothing was open till 10 a.m like in terms of like yeah like (laughs) business does not Uh, start early
1: it's a it's odd i'm opening times in different countries in hong kong um places stay open so late yeah so late that was like a that was a bit of a culture shock. Well, not really not really a culture shock, but it was different coming back to Australia, where things close so early. Yeah, because
0: <laughs> um, it's like the IGR around the corner shuts at seven. I'm like, what if you need milk at eight? Yeah.
1: like <laughs> and people like seven doesn't give you a lot of time, right? Like you finish some, no. most people most people finish work at five. Yeah, so that gives you two hours if you don't have to travel an hour to get home. So that's not a lot of time.
0: <laughs> and then the moment you get home, the last thing you want to do is leave. Like, Exactly. It has to be convenient on your route.
1: So once you've had your nap, your after work <laughs> nap, after the hour long travel home, you've only got like 30 minutes. That's a very stressful shop. I'm not a fan of yeah. a stressful shop. I want to take my time. You want to you browse all of the <laughs> collections <wanna> <laughs> I love a good browse. During COVID, actually, that was one of the highlights of the week, <laughs> week was going to the grocery I mean, I'm sure we can all relate to yeah, just really enjoying being at the grocery store because you weren't in your house, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, the funny thing was when it was a law that you couldn't browse, mm. like you had to know what you were going in for. And I would still browse. I'd be like, no, nah, just want to <laughs> Just just not want to be home right now. Because we had, in Sydney, we had about three lockdowns in the end, which were quite Mm. long lockdowns. Mm. And I think it was interesting, though, because um, when we had the change of premieres, they just stopped caring about lockdowns. And they were like, oh, well, I guess. I remember
1: that. Yeah. Because I actually, um, we'd had a lockdown here in Melbourne in June. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it went for three weeks and that was right during my exam period for my honours year in psych. And then I went, I was like, oh, I've, I, since I have this break I'm, and, and the lockdown's ended, I'm going to go to Sydney. Mm. And I was planning to go to Sydney for two weeks and I went there and of course... Of course, when I was in Sydney, we went into lockdown. So then I had to, I got trapped actually in Sydney for an extra week. Because I was like, if I go back, I'm going to have to go into isolation. Yeah. And what's worse, being here in lockdown or being there in isolation? So I stayed and then ultimately it didn't make any sense. And luckily I went back because everybody ended up staying in lockdown after that for, God, what was it? after that, like another six, seven weeks, two months.
0: Yeah. It was it was an insane I think it was like two months yeah. of lockdown. Like uh, I know was it Shanghai at the moment is having their lockdown. Oh. You know, which is oh. it's you know, we're at the point in Australia where I feel like lockdowns are a thing of the past.
1: Well you hope so, right? You hope so. I mean we're we're done with um close contacts having to isolate. Yeah.
0: I think it just got, it, it got very hard, um, you know, as a as a case tracker as well. Mm. It just, you know, because I feel like the, you know, a lot of friends of mine have suddenly got COVID. Mm. I just feel like it's the pile up mm. of, you know, people going, I've got it, I've got it, and I've talked about it, and I've talked about it, and I was mm. like, well, that's great, but <laughs> I hope you're okay in the long run. And It doesn't have, like, one of my best friends basically just, um, had a flare up of an injury that you know was caused by COVID, oh. and so people come out of having COVID with you know things that they didn't realize was wrong with their body, mm. and then suddenly it's just like it's caused a flare up in mm. whatever um, you know because they're being so ill, and yeah, it's it's a very surreal thing because I've been to I've been to the city every day and I'm still haven't got it, and it's been over two and a half years since you know this. And I'm like, I'm just like, what?
1: Are you scared? Are you a little bit scared you're gonna get it now?
0: Ah, uh, no. No.
1: <laughs> Which
0: <laughs> I'm just I'm optimistic at this point because I'm just like, well, if it hasn't happened, I hope it doesn't. Um mm,
1: I feel like all of my most confident friends have been falling one by one. <laughs> oh no.
0: <laughs> have you managed to avoid it as well?
1: Oh no, I got it. I got it hard. I got it in i got it on christmas day oh yeah
0: do you know where it came from
1: i i do so um that night i had a few friends who were kind of like trapped in melbourne and they were having like a din like a little dinner i think it was like eight of us Mm. um and they were like oh come and i think i I remember being really hesitant about it because i was like oh i probably should stay with my family like i haven't you know like christmas is like that one day of the year when we see everybody but i was also like oh you know what like we've been in lockdown for such a long time i just really want to see my friends so i went to this party and um everybody there got covid i think two people didn't who were the people who were smoking so they were outside the whole time <laughs> and they didn't get it they didn't get covid so um it was just the rest of us who <laughs> were inside the apartment um who got it and we and, and i think most of us got it pretty bad from memory. I was, um, I didn't find out until three days after, and I had had some friends actually down from Sydney to visit, and we were staying in a hotel together um, when I found out that I had it. And I thought I had just had a really bad hangover. I think it was like a really bad, <laughs> my symptoms flared up the day after we had had a really big night out. And, um, but yeah, that wasn't, um That wasn't the, it wasn't the, I was pretty, I think, I think a lot of Melbournians became quite irresponsible towards the end of last year. Yeah. yeah. I'd say everyone kind of, lockdown fatigue really kicked in. And I remember my friends from Sydney saying, why didn't, like, why did you continue to go out and see people before we came? Because like, you know, there was such a high risk. And I was like, it didn't even cross my mind to be conservative Mm. because I've literally spent the last two years in and out of lockdowns, like six lockdowns. Yeah. So I just threw caution to the wind and I suffered for it. I ended up spending New Year in lockdown. And uh, my friends actually from Sydney had to (laughs) lock down in a hotel room, pay for four extra days in this hotel room for seven days with no, (laughs) their television didn't have Netflix. They didn't have their laptops. So we actually um, watched Every every day at twelve o'clock we would watch Hitch. <laughs> <laughs> so we'd watch Hitch uh, every day, and and now we know Hitch pretty much <laughs> line by line, and it's. Uh... It's a great memory to have that of <laughs> my COVID times, I think.
0: Yeah. I mean, like, that just brings me back to the olden days when you had to wait for television.
1: Yeah. To... Yeah, that's what they were doing. Actually, they, but it's it's new because it's also plus lockdown, right? So you have nothing yeah. else to do. So they just wait until they could watch Hitch every day.
0: <laughs> oh, my God.
1: At least I had other, I had other, like, I had Netflix because I'd gone to, back to uh, my auntie's place and isolated there. So I had other things, but all they had, all they had was Hitch. And I think actually The, the Pursuit of Happiness, but um, Ooh, yes. very Will Smith oriented, which is kind of topical at the moment.
0: Yes. I mean, with the other, the Oscars slap. Mm, um,
1: the Oscars <laughs> um, slap.
0: Actually, I do want to ask your opinions. What's your thoughts on him getting banned?
1: I, I am very much no, I have no tolerance for violence. Mm. Um, I think that what he did was wrong um on like a number of levels i mean mm-hmm. we can, oh, i'm sure like this topic has been run like just run into the ground on the internet yeah um i've seen so many people just like almost creating summaries of all the different opinions on this topic but um i don't know i think i think i think it was appropriate to be banned but i'm not sure i i I feel like that's probably the best way to discipline that behavior. Mm. But also, like, isn't it a criminal? Like, he assaulted somebody. Yes. Like, should we be banning him or should he be being arrested? <laughs> like, what <laughs> is it? Is it not extreme enough, you know, to, like, get up on stage and, like, if some random person did that, if you think about it from that perspective, if it wasn't Will Smith, if it was just some security guard, he'd be arrested for sure. Yeah. Um, but because it was Will Smith, he's not arrested. He's just banned from the
0: the, the Oscars. I mean, and it's interesting as well. Cause it's like, I think that like, the, yeah, that goes to the power of Hollywood and, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 corrupt side of it, which is just no matter what you do, uh, you still get your awards or you get to, you know, the fact that they've asked him to give it back. Yeah. It, I just think, I'm like, okay, ask the same of Roman Polanski. Ask the same of Harvey Weinstein. Just. Yeah,
1: it's a weird <laughs> it's a weird um, connection because it, mm. it doesn't have anything to do with the award. No. It's a separate issue. And it seems weird to be like, give back your award. It's like, he shouldn't have, he should still get the award because the award, I mean, actually, I don't know. I don't even know how to talk about it because I'm like, it's like, you shouldn't award, you shouldn't reward somebody for that behavior, no. but the award almost seems like he'd already won it. It was irrelevant to the to the event
0: it was just the timing of it. It was yeah. like the timing of the slap had already happened, so mm. whereas if the slap had happened afterwards, mm. I think it would have been less you know because it was all to do with the speech, yeah which was I'm sorry about my hidden behavior and everything, and mm. you know like I think it also just you know like. The shock to everyone, and I think, you know, in Chris Rock's favour, you know, handled it very well Mm -hmm. in response to that, very professionally, Mm. but, you know, like, obviously, yeah, there had already been underlining feud between them, Mm. and that was irrelevant to the people at the Oscars, Mm. And, and it's behavior like that, that if you don't tolerate on set, mm. then why do you tolerate it at a formal awards ceremony? Mm-hmm. Like it's just things like that where it's just the tolerating of behaviors kind of goes out the window. It just it always apl- um, applies to whatever they want to do at the time. Mm-hmm. And I guess because that was also a live broadcast. Yeah. Like it's not – it made it quite hard for them to immediately filter and go, this is a completely – bad scenario that we need to you know put up a message board and say you know sorry for emergency distribution or anything like that yeah um you know technical issues but no they just kind of kept rolling with it i think they were also um i think i think on the oscars end i think they none of them knew what to do because i don't think anything had like that really happened in such a long time
1: yeah i don't think that's i don't think that's happened has it happened? Has that happened before, do you know? No,
0: I don't think anyone's actually official officially ever assaulted someone live <laughs> at an <laughs> academy Oscar. awards.
1: Yeah. I um I did uh I can't remember who it was, but somebody did say that Chris Rock was consulted about what to do and he actually said don't remove Will Smith. So that was one um I don't know. I guess like side of the story but i don't know how it did that information didn't come actually from chris rock so that could also be yeah a misinterpretation i don't know these situations are so difficult to um i don't know like it's all coming through the television and it's all coming through the opinions that you're hearing and it's all coming through the people who watched it and regurgitated it back it's like obviously that assault did happen but what the behind the scenes are and what what People involved are experiencing is like yeah, like we can we don't have much access to that.
0: No, um I love it how much you're psychoanalyzing all these people as well. Who
1: (laughs) that's my job. (laughs) (laughs) You're
0: like, this is what I do. These
1: are the things that I do. (laughs) (laughs) I did it. it I said the name of the show.
0: I love it. I mean, like, (laughs) it's also it's so accurate as well because I feel like I 100 agree with that, and it's like the slice of life things because. No matter what we say, I don't know if you necessarily agree with this, but I feel like we are, as human beings, constantly changing. Like, we're constantly Mm. learning from our mistakes and Mm -hmm. our past experiences. And the the thing I always say to people is you can always do better. Like, if you've made a mistake, do better next time. Like, don't, you know, because there's the people that clearly are awful human beings who, Mm -hmm. you know, clearly love manipulating and hurting people. And then there's the people who just... I think you know we have this such a high turnover of like um you know I was like cancel culture and and everything it's just such a high turnover to quickly judge people before there is any actual kind of motivation or understanding or anything like mm-hmm. that before you go you go into the nitty gritty because it becomes word of mouth yeah. it becomes everything as word of mouth like how do you respond with having how do you kind of like mix the two? Because you must encounter this a fair amount with like people doing right or wrong things on set. How do you kind of like go who's good, who's bad, what's going on when you have both like that psychoanalyzing? Because I, I feel like people must go preface judgment.
1: I think something that's happened since I started my master's degree is um, I've become a lot less generally... Um, I've become more hesitant to make snap judgments about people. I've actually just become more curious about where people are coming from. Um, because I, I when we talk about like good and bad people in the world, people who love manipulating and stuff like this, yeah. um, I'm not really sure how many people are like that. i. I I wouldn't know how to put a number on it but when you talk about like even I'm like a huge fan of true crime as a lot of women are <laughs> it's a very <laughs> high female population who love um true crime. Yeah. But um uh one of the things that they talk about a lot are um serial killers and these like really extreme crimes which tend to be like a such a small percentage of crime. Yes. Um and I think the same thing goes for, like, really awful, like, people who just are really awful people. I think a lot of the time there's context um, or psychological reasoning. But, yeah, I I think um, with cancel culture, I originally I was all on board, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually something that I've come around to recently is... This idea that how are we allowing people to grow yeah, or change or making it okay for people to say um, I was wrong or for people to, cha- like, I guess, ask for advice or make growth yeah. without, like, when we institute this cancel culture, shouldn't we be trying to educate people or, or trying to come to an understanding about where they're coming from? I think Jenna Marbles was like a huge one for me um, Mm. because she'd she'd shown such growth, um, but because of what she'd done in the past, which was awful, Mm. um, I think she felt the need to leave because of all the backlash that she was getting. And then, you know, we kind of created a situation where people – well, I don't actually know what the consequences have been, but I would assume – from that messaging, it's like if you've done anything in the past, if it's been problematic, which I'm, I, I'm sure I have done. I was actually looking back through my Facebook the other day, and some of the things I used to say, I'm like, I would never say that now. Um, but then I was thinking, you know, as an actor, I was like, how should I be erasing this stuff? Should I leave it there? It's me. Yeah. It's it shows how I've grown through my life and. Um, you know, teenagers say really weird stuff. That it's not like it's reflective of the fact that we're not educated as much. Like we're we're young. We don't have any idea of the consequences of our actions.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, I 100% agree with that. And I look back at some of the weirdest things I've said as mm-hmm. a teenager and as a young adult, and I think yeah, there's a there's a distinct lacking. And I think lockdown really exaggerated this. Mm-hmm. Was people's lack of communication Mm. and how wonky it was actually. When you couldn't see people as much Mm. in person, suddenly everyone was kind of wonky on how they communicated and how they talked to each other Mm. and how they could socialise. I think people had some really negative effects of lockdown. Like Mm -hmm. obviously some people I know completely um, I don't talk to anymore and and, and mostly because some of them pushed, uh, you know, pushed away. They went into, you know, complete like, I don't want to know anyone, and you know, I really want to uproot my life and change everything. And other, you know, other people just fell off the map, Mm. Um, you know. But I think it's interesting because I feel like lockdown, in particular, and this sort of, you know, this sort of hiding away culture, Mm. um, really became kind of a little bit, you know. And I think people stopped accepting their flaws Mm. and and owning their flaws Mm. because I mean, like some of the things you know, that people do, or, you know, like, I have the funniest story, but I mean, like, my partner, she jokes about it all the time, but she said, before I met you, I thought you were an axe murderer, like, I just thought you were crazy.
1: (laughs) What did she mean by that?
0: (laughs) Well, it's because she and I used to message, and, oh, back in, like, 2019 or 2018, and, she didn't we'd never met in person like we'd kind of flirted online Mm. and one of the funniest things was she knew mutual friends Mm. so she had to check on them to be like is he okay is he real (laughs) Like, who is he he's not gonna be a crazy psycho or anything like that um and it was mostly because when lockdown happened Mm. i sent her this video without ever meeting her and it's like one of my funniest stories we bring up but it's kind of one of my regrets as well because i'm like thinking god all her friends know about it um and it is this video that I sent to her, which was just, um, cause like a long story short, but I was in a relationship with someone else, and we were meant. To, it was a very unhealthy and unhappy relationship. Mm. I was trying to get out to it, and I was going to go on a date with um, my current partner. Ended up flaking on her, mm. and completely within reason, she just didn't want to talk to me. And I was like, fair enough, I don't blame you. And then the other side of it was. Uh, I sent her this video saying, I'm sorry that I screwed things up. I'm sorry. I hope we one day can meet and, you know, and actually I get coffee. And, you know, I looked like an emotional wreck." <laughs> and she said, "It's. I hope you're okay. I hope everything's okay. Best best we not talk for a while. Oh. And all her friends were like, block him. Get rid of him. Mm. <laughs> he sounds crazy. And then, um, yeah, it was funny because when we started dating, uh, all her friends jokingly, were, she <laughs> I think it's really funny because all all the friends were like, "Oh, the one who sent the video! Oh, you're dating him! Oh, oh, <laughs> oh gosh. And now they like they all think I'm amazing. But it's one of those things that it, it it is on the other. We joke about it all the time, and one of her best friends, Erica. Whenever I see her, we just kind of laugh about the stupid video that is is that part of history. But you look at it, and I think. Yeah, when you evolve with people and you evolve and become better, you can always reflect on old videos or weird things that you've said to people and you go, God, that that's a weird, shaky start to start a relationship or a friendship. That's
1: odd, yeah.
0: But at the other side, it's one of the most happy and, you know, most loved relationships I've ever been in. Mm. So it's like there is positives out of weird scenarios. And I think I 100% agree with you because on face value, everything, you've just got to take every scenario with a grain of salt and sort of underno you know, like, because I think people don't always say what they actually feel. yeah I think a lot of the time they're afraid of getting hurt or owning it and everything like that, like, and that's when, like, people go, oh, you're an awful person or, you know, this is, you know, like, or this person's weird because they don't talk much on set or, like, anything like that. There's yeah. just such prejudgment about not understanding each other's lives.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think. I think we live in a culture of, um, I mean, I think it's natural. The psychology of it is like it's a a lot quicker for our brains to to judge, um, make quick judgments about things. Um, But I think it doesn't, I mean, I'm talking from a place of this is my job and this is what I've spent (laughs) a long time trying to change about myself because I was very judgmental when I was younger. I'm sure my best friend can tell some really... um, Funny stories about how judgmental I used to be, um. But I, I feel like it if everyone could just have a little bit of curiosity, a little bit of curiosity, mm. or like a little bit of um, I don't know, openness to yeah. to seeing things from a, from a different perspective. Like I definitely this the last few weeks I've been listening to this podcast called. I don't know if you're allowed to talk about other podcasts on on podcast. Oh, I
0: am. Yes, hundred <laughs> percent.
1: Okay. Um, but uh, it's called maintenance phase um and it's big into um kind of debunking myths around surrounding weight loss and weight gain and weight stigma. Mm. It's really good um and that's really changed my perspective on on the way I view weight mm. and really brought to my attention my fat phobia and that was something that I, a hundred percent never even thought about how much i I'm phobic, like how phobic I am of fat, and um, yeah, that was like that. That's been a big shift for me in my in the way that I view things, and made me a little bit more critical of my own thought processes. But I wasn't aware of that, right? Mm. Um, and so I think it's a real journey towards becoming less judgmental. Like, and I think people take steps towards that like a little bit at a time like maybe just like depending on what's important to them or things that affect them as well like Mm -hmm. but I think we could all do with just having a little bit of curiosity you know like um oh that person's not not acting great yeah like why do we always assume that it's it's an it's a bad thing like that they're, they're an awful person or like they don't like me or yeah you know maybe we should assume maybe they're having a bad day like why is it a why is it a character flaw when somebody does something that we don't like or you know i think i think that's something that needs to go I, and on on the flip side um i'm not very interested in the argument of nuance when it comes to um like um racism because like i'm when i think about stuff like that i'm like well in that in that scenario the intention doesn't matter. Yeah. Because I'm like, you're just being racist and that's not okay. You're harming somebody else. Yes. So I think there is a little bit of nuance or like a little bit of like cognitive. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm really going through the mental, <laughs> like the mental process of it as I'm talking about it. Um, <laughs> but I know that there's a lot of things that I think that aren't 100% like straightforward. Yeah. Uh, like, um because I've always been of, of the belief that it doesn't matter your intention when it comes to saying things that are harmful. You should just apologize and move forward. But I also think that it is important for us at the same time to be, to be considering what people's intentions are. Like if, if, if it goes both ways, then yeah. you're going to reach a more kind of understanding yeah. relationship on all sides i
0: I think it's always yeah i 100% agree with that and i think that some people's you know like i would say i don't i get to a point where you know i'm like oh, it, it's like when people say i'm not racist but
1: i'm like <laughs> that's a red herring that's a red flag
0: <laughs> yeah it's like you know it's like i'm not sexist but yeah like
1: you just you don't
0: Say the butt. Let's just ignore the but and just leave it as. Don't. Why say do you anything. need to say the butt?
1: Like, what are you justifying? Okay. If you say I'm yeah. not racist, but th- that in itself is like I am racist. Yeah. So
0: just put a sticker <laughs> on my head. um Yeah. I mean, like, I think it was just it was years ago, and I remember like, the, and people people seem to have this in different cultures as well. Like, I work with people who are you know a variety of different backgrounds, and one of my good mm-hmm. friends. Um, you know, he, his family were born in, um, India and, but they moved over to Canada. Mm. So he's got this thick Canadian accent. Mm. Um, they lived in Vancouver, loved it. And then he moved to Australia. And so, you know, they're kind of in between his family coming over from Canada to, you know, um, see him and then going back home. And, uh, one of the things was he said to me when he moved to Australia that he lived in the Northern beaches area. And he was like, this is a lovely area. But every time he went out, everyone thought he worked as a local barista. He was like, no, I work for TV. I work at the, you know, the Channel 7 building in the city. And they were like, no, but you're a barista. And it's like, why? Because of the color of my skin? He said the northern beaches were incredibly like, white and mm. very... Judgmental quickly Mm. And I agree with that because the amount Of jogger mums that I see And you know (laughs) 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 It's my favourite But I, I, you know like my partner and I we went to Avalon and I was just like god there's so many Like there's so many rich People
1: Mm. that I'm
0: like There's a a certain kind of Class system and I, I mean like I think also that you know The shoes on the other foot don't judge People too harshly but there are people who just clearly have grown up in an, in in an, a world where they're so privileged that they just think that anyone different mm. doesn't live in their area, and it's like, well, everyone of any background could be a good social economic, you know, situation. So it's mm. not, it's not a like issue, and it shouldn't be an issue for you. But apparently, people like to make it an issue, and and I think that was one situation that it was just like. He knows so much about Australian politics and everything, but he still Mm. encounters, like, day-to-day racism Mm. and just things like that by the color of his skin. Even though, like, he can get away with it on the phone when we talk to people overseas because he sounds Canadian. So everyone, I assume, thinks he's white. Yeah. Does that something, you know, like, do do people automatically assume stuff about your name when you come in or, you know, the...
1: I was wondering this the other day. I was like, if I put a different name on a job application, would I get... um... But I get more job offers because I've heard uh, friends of mine who have, um, you know, don't have they haven't changed their name and they come from, you know, that they come from Hong Kong or um, they haven't decided to to, to have like a, a Western name.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They they found that when they did put a Western name that they did get more job offers, um, which which is wild to me. Um, but I also think that uh something that I don't know if this is um, like a, like reflected in literature or anything like that, but I feel like a lot of the time the reason that people behave that way and wanna maintain sort of separation mm. from other groups uh is fear, yes, um a lot of the time, but also um kind of just wanting to maintain an in group out group from a psychological perspective there's a lot of psychological benefits that people experience when there's like a like um when they feel like they're part of a group um like high self esteem and um that kind of thing and obviously that's not me advocating for keeping like for not being a multicultural society but i think that that kind of explains why people hang on to these um like separations between yeah um and I think that Australia is like a really young nation I mean people joke about it all the time Australia is super racist um (laughs) and it's not a joke but it like no I've I've seen a lot of like comedy acts where people talk about how racist Australia is and And I shouldn't laugh um, at it
0: I really shouldn't laugh at the fact but it (laughs) It's so true, yeah.
1: It it is really true. And I think I think maybe this is such a hypothesis. I'm this is not based in fact at all, but um <laughs> we're such a young nation, I think that we struggle to have an identity um in the same way that a lot of older cultures do. And I think that um maybe that you know, there's like a lack because we're so multicultural, I think people tend to try to hang on for dear life to things that separate, like, separate us as a nation. Yeah. Um, so that could be feeding a little bit why we have such a racist, like, a racism problem here in Australia. Um, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, like, a sad fact, isn't it? Like, that Yeah. people have to experience, like, when people come over here, you have to almost warn them. Like, if they're not white, you're like, hey— watch out. Yeah,
0: if you have a slightly (laughs) different name or you don't sound like an Anglo-Saxon person, you are screwed. And if you also have any variations in skin color, good luck.
1: Yeah, good luck. Have a good time.
0: And I think that's also the thing that comes up a lot, which is um, white passing, which I find such an interesting debate. Mm. Because then, I mean, I have friends who are white passing, and that is like, they just don't, ex- you know, acknowledge or um, I think that, you know, that own level of they're just like, oh, yeah, no, that I don't want to talk about, like, the, you know, or say that I'm, you know, uh, a different colored skin or anything like mm. that or, you know, even though it's like you can clearly see a slight tan, but mm. they're like, no, I'm not a person of color then. I was like, would you technically to some degree you are, mm. like to some degree. But I think people just go, I don't want to take that away from actually people who are dark-skinned or um, in um, like Indigenous Australians, like mm. they don't want to take that away from them. And I'm like, but that's not taking away power. It's just being like what that definition should actually mean, mm. which is people of colour and, um, you know, and, and technically like, look, people who are white are, are technically, you know, pink so it's like the <laughs> <laughs> we're pink yeah we're pink like i mean does that kind of th- something to you as well sort of go into that whole like white passing stuff does that affect you as well
1: oh definitely i think about this actually i've been thinking about this quite a bit because my mom's indian um mm. and she's um not white passing but me and my siblings definitely are um uh, my younger sister probably a little bit less than i am um, but I'm 100% white-passing. Like, if I tell people I'm Indian, they are shocked. Um, and sometimes deny it. Yeah. <laughs> they say, no, I don't believe you. You're tricking me, <laughs> which is a, is a weird thing to say to somebody when they tell you that, you know, like, why would someone pretend to be? I don't know, it's, it's a weird thing to say to someone. Um, but I definitely feel when people ask me about um, what it's like to be white-passing, I say, it's complicated. Yeah. Like I I, I feel like I haven't I, I don't experience racism myself. But I've watched racism through my family and been told about racism through my mom's experience and understood the way that that impacts um impacts us and impacted her. Um so it's not a, it's not as straightforward as just saying, you know, I'm not um but I definitely don't feel I have the right to speak about experiences of racism um within Australia, or um what that's like mm. um, yeah, I don't know. My sister probably would have more to say. I feel like she looks a little bit um I would say she looks a bit Persian actually, really she's like got all the Indian features, but she's what she's as pale as I am, I'd say. My younger brother has all the white features, but it's very dark mm. um, say so that's a it's an interesting mix Indian and um, australian <laughs> you get a you get a real a real mix of people yeah um presenting how they present um, yeah, it's interesting. My older brother has Down syndrome, so um it would be interesting to see what uh, you know like cause down syndrome comes with particular physical characteristics yes um so i can't really tell um like i think he's just darker he's the darkest i think of the kids huh. in terms of skin color
0: i mean uh, th- do you feel i mean it's interesting because um because yeah like i did, i recently um not that long ago did a um charity video for uh, one of australia um one of sydney's down mm. syndrome communities which oh, is cool. up in um like ingleburn way and that was the most eye-opening thing about that as well do you feel like you know um that people don't understand a lot about you know your brother's um condition or do you feel like you like educate people a bit on
1: it oh my gosh oh wow we're really delving we've, we've oh talked yeah a lot about a lot about stuff um
0: <laughs> sorry you did you not amazing. expect this
1: question <laughs> i wasn't sure i wasn't really sure um but you know uh here we go um i i feel like i don't actually talk that much to people about my brother i mm-hmm. it's kind of like something that comes up when we talk about my family um but obviously it's it's affected my entire life um from birth because he's my older brother um but i like I don't know, I haven't really been around him the last, um, since I moved out of home in 2013. So that's like about nine, almost nine years ago. Um, But they moved back here in 2017. uh, So I've seen a little bit more of him recently. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I do, I do try and educate people, but people don't, people aren't, I think where the education comes in the most is when people use offensive terms, um, like The R word, which I don't like to say. Yes. Um, No. uh, So I try really hard to be like, hey, that's not an okay term. I don't know whether my brother would understand it, but I don't think he would like it if he did. Um, Yeah. uh, But, yeah, I don't know whether I've ever actually sat down with someone and been like, here's what Down syndrome is, because I feel like a lot of people know. Um, At least people that I know know what Down syndrome is. When I say, oh, my brother has Down syndrome, they say, okay, okay. I think the only thing I can really speak to and that is like how it's affected my life, yeah, um, and if anything, I think it's just made me a more um like having a brother with Down syndrome and experiencing living gro- and growing up with someone who is so different um has just made me a much more compassionate empathetic person yeah. i think it's I think it's the reason i'm a psychol. i want to be a psychologist, yeah um well, that I am actually, sorry.
0: <laughs> Don't, you're not just being one, you are one. It's um, very
1: recent, so I <laughs> yes. recently got registered as a prop psych. So I'm So there you go, yeah. registered psych. Registered, um, yeah, registered provisional. I have to say provisional psychologist.
0: Yeah. There you go. I mean, like um I, I also think that one of the things that Down syndrome happens to you know, because it, it does come with occasionally you do see physical notifications. Like it it, it does come with like either, you know, you don't notice a, at all, mm. or there can be quite big physical characteristics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the things, like one of my really good friends, his two year old has Down syndrome <gasps> and cutest, cutest little yeah, baby so ever. Sweet. I'm uh, absolutely so proud of him. Mm. And I think one of the things was, you know, just really kind of sitting down with him and just going, you know, um, you know the slow development and, you know, I was like, like you know, the learning to walk and, you know, using sign language at home and mm. doing the little things to kind of give him, you know, as much, like, understanding of, and, like, helping his brain just mm. develop. And I think it's really interesting because I grew up with ADHD and epilepsy, so I think when people tell me of these things – I already have a compassionate and understanding side because mm. I, you know, like if you, in the nineties, if you had any prognosis, whether you had um, uh, like autism or, you know, um, at like, you know, you had Down dream or anything like that. Um, and especially, you know, if you were just any way in different people would automatically use the R word. They would just yeah. be like, you are automatically different. And mm. therefore You know, because I feel like the problem I find with society as well, and it's like the selective smart students Mm. or, you know, the selective special kids, it's just like, what about that? Like, why don't you have this, you know, understanding across the board of just everyone's different and, you know, that is the curriculum and not everyone's going to learn the same, but there Mm. was this huge pressure uh not, I, and I don't know if it was the school that I went to, but there was less of an understanding mm. of differences than I feel like kids today growing up are getting, which they feel like they're, there's more of an understanding and there's more of a, oh, you have this and you have this and this is, like, it's all over social media, whereas when we grew up, there was like nothing yeah. along those lines. Yeah,
1: I mean, neurodiverse, the neurodiverse population, even in the last few years, I feel like... um There's been a huge increase in ADHD diagnosis Mm. and especially in women um, because of the difference in the diagnosis at a younger age. And um, that's been really beneficial because I think people have become aware of how many people are actually neurodiverse um, and what a spectrum that is. Um, But, yeah, it's a it's it must have been really difficult to grow up. Like with that kind of label and the the impact that that would have had on your self esteem, I can't imagine. I
0: I think the thing that I, and I still have it today, where you have to prove yourself, and mm. like, um, you know, it's. I always say this argument of just like people go, oh, but you're a white male, and what do you have to prove? And it's like <laughs> I still have to prove every day, yeah, that I'm capable of a lot of things because mm. the moment, like, I went into an interview recently and they asked. They asked me a question and it was like, oh, so you have ADHD. (laughs) But does that mean you're easily distracted? (laughs) It's like, well, no. No, that's not what it means. Mm. But I like that you don't know. Um, So, yeah, like (laughs) there's just a lot of assumptions and I feel, yeah, there's always kind of like I don't like telling people unless I have to Mm. because it's really – it's no one's business. And I feel – that people are quick to judge. It's like the same thing of just like, um, you know, one of my friends has OCD and like, you know, having to explain, like I grew up with a dad with OCD and I, mm. he had to explain to people why he had obsessive compulsive disorder and, you know, and like, you should never have to explain to people why you, you don't know, you have the things. Cause it's, you know, it's like, why do you have a disability? Why? <laughs> like, it's, it's so bizarre. And I had like, I think that what really taught me about how inaccessible it is for people with any sort of condition or any sort of like uh, long-term effects of like disabilities or anything like that or neurodiverse things um, was I recently had to go in for surgery. Mm. So I had my, I tore my meniscus. And so that meant six weeks, kind of like five to six weeks on crutches. Mm. And one thing I automatically realized was how many people just don't care. The moment you're on crutch and unless they're really nice Mm. and they'll put then the effort in. But most of the people just go, oh, I have to make sure you're still using it and see it. Mm. Like security wouldn't let me into the building Mm. unless they saw I was. And I was like, what if it's not viewable? Like what if I'm wearing a cast? Like Mm -hmm. it could be anything. You just don't know. But then, yeah, it was like so bizarre. The
1: world is built. Uh, for like a one, it's like the world is built for one particular type of person. Yeah, and everybody else just has to try and, um, I guess fit into that, um, like one particular mold or whatever it is. <laughs> um, that's kind of something that I've uh, been thinking a lot about. I mean, just even like listening to maintenance phase or thinking about like the way my brother gets around the the place and, um. Just becomes really apparent that um, like f- we've just built the world for a particular group, and like yeah. I mean, obviously you experience a lot of that when people talk about like the white male. It it feels a lot like like n- like n- I don't know what the term is for neuro non neurodiverse, I guess. Yeah. Um. White cis males. That's who the world was built for, and everybody else is just living in their world. Um, yeah. But. I think – I mean, not to circle back, but, like, just being aware of, like, the, everybody's differences can just make everybody a little bit more understanding and and, mm. and engaging. I feel like maybe it's just, like, a lack of understanding or um, – but, like, people don't enter into conversation or enter into an interaction yeah. with, like, a wholesome positive regard or or – Um, curiosity for other people but i think it's almost impossible to do that all the time yeah maybe if we if if everybody was trying we would meet each other halfway
0: (laughs) just the midpoint a
1: midpoint yeah because i mean that's just that's so true like you you get um that little brief moment where you experience what it's like to be living in a world where you actually can't access like Mm. you you're on crutches it's it's difficult like the most places don't have ramps, and things like that that make people's lives easier. And those are the people that already have it hard. Like when you're on crutches, you're you're struggling on a day to day. When they talk about spoon theory, like you have you know, you don't have as many spoons to get through the day if you're giving out spoons or or each I think the the theory is like each event takes one spoon, but for people who are um have a disability or are struggling. Sometimes one event, that same event that only takes one spoon, takes multiple spoons yeah. for a person who's struggling. And so some people are left with more spoons at the end of the day, but, but the people who are struggling the most sometimes have spoon deficit and have to take those spoons from the next day, you know? Yeah. And it's funny that the, that those are the people in society that we don't have, that we don't make room for when they're already struggling the most like the, the world is built for the people who don't struggle that much no um and I, I think that's very simplistic obvious and i think that's what the conversation we've had here today has been about is the fact that we don't actually know what people are going through no um, um and people can fit into categories even when you can't see it um but yeah i mean compassion And curiosity, that's what I stand for. So I think if we go back to the start of the conversation where you asked me who I am, (laughs) I'd say I'm an advocate for compassion and curiosity.
0: (laughs) Can I just say I love that? That is so wholesome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because, I mean, like, my follow-up question to that moment (laughs) as well is, is that the reason you became a performer and an actor as well, was to kind of dive into those differences?
1: I I just love it. I I love inhabiting a person and I think I think the reason I became an actor was because of how much I loved performance. Yeah. Um and then through that process as I got older, I discovered how important and how crucial art is yeah. to the world. And then that became the reason. Um and then through COVID, I think I realized that I have a lot more urgency to to my need to help people on a daily basis. And I think helping people through acting um, is very real, 100%. Like you think about getting through COVID without Netflix or um, like viewing any of the art that we did. Like that's what made it bearable. Mm -hmm. But I think for me it felt a lot more in the future. Like if I'm going to do a project that helps people or... You know, maybe one person would see a small project that I'd done and, and be helped by it. Or I could write something that that was helpful to people. Mm. Um, but that was all it felt like it was in the future. And I wanted to help people like right now and daily. And <laughs> so this is a, that's why I wanted to like start go, went back to psychology because I had done a three year degree before I went into acting. Um, but I still act um whenever i can because of how much i love it yeah um but yeah i think it's not as easy as saying acting doesn't help people and psych does yeah. i think it's just like i wanted to help people every single day um in a way that i f- could see or felt more tangible to me yeah um because um the help that i and I mean, acting is such a hard, hard career. Hey, I mean, we talk about this all the time. It's so difficult, yeah, such a difficult career you've gotta it's it's almost like you're you're running on the power of your mental strength all the time. Mm. you're holding yourself up by um working on yourself and working on your self belief and and building goals for yourself and setting goals and moving towards those and um I think that being an actor is such a commendable career. <laughs> I really do. Mm-hmm. I I sometimes feel like I gave up by not having it as my solo career, but um I also think that that's just, that's also a very mean <laughs> mean thing to say yeah. to, to myself. Um but I think that um I think also life doesn't have to be like you have one thing or the other you can you can try and do all the things that you love and and it's also life's not that short like it is short but we can we can find ways to do as much as we can within that time we don't have to set these arbitrary limitations for ourselves yeah Um, and obviously that's coming from me as like someone who's privileged enough to have time have the luxury of time and um you know i'm i'm like living in a society where i can get help to study for example like i can get funding from the government and so that allows me to take time off to act while i'm also studying Mm. um but i i think that within this society and within my group of people i think we set a lot of like uh, mental limitations i'm too old to 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 dabble in acting while i'm doing this or you know i don't have enough time it's like you know it doesn't need to be that way we don't it doesn't have to be like i do this one thing and i think i think things are changing people have multiple careers these days or they change careers yeah over and over again um that's i mean that also has a lot to do with the fact that um Like careers are a lot less stable. We have a lot less access to money. So people have to do like multiple jobs at the same time. But um, here's me talking about just doing a a side career as like a passion (laughs) Um, when people are like struggling to have, um, you know, that when people have to have two jobs, not that I don't have two jobs. I'm also doing hospitality um repping hospitality as an actor is uh pretty standard yeah
0: (laughs) I mean like I I 100% agree with that and I think it's like one of the things that I tell people it's like my main job is not the thing I love it but it's Mm -hmm. not the thing I want to end up doing for the rest of my life Mm -hmm. um it's just a good paying job yeah and uh like even even this morning I was chatting with my partner about it and I was just going. It'd be pr- probably about now that I'd probably just quit working for TV because yeah. it's like I've done it for eight years. And, I mean, like, you know, people would just go, oh, my God, why are you doing that? But it's also like I want to do other things. I want to, yeah. you know, do – I never did the retail life, of, you know, and <laughs> I love, you know, all, all that elements of just meeting people and, you know, um, you know, helping people and you know doing volunteer work mm. where I can, and I think that it would be a career path because um it just you know if there are more to things in life than just like yeah. you know because if I stuck to it and I did the first thing that you know because I I do performing as well but I don't do it as a you know I'm I know I'm not going to break the bank on it mm-hmm. and be like you know it's but it's completely fun mm. and it's completely but you know also the same with presenting the you know like. The same with most things. It's just, you know, it's a good, you know, gives me some income, gives me something. Mm. And then, but I do agree with you. Like, you know, we have so many different career points, this, mm. you know, and what we change to do. And I think it's not It's not as straightforward as probably it was when our parents were around and you <laughs> stuck to the job. Yeah. You just, that was like, that was, the first job was your 50 years.
1: That's what you do for the rest of your life until you're, until you retire yeah, 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 it's a nice um it's it's a ni- I don't know if it's a nice change, I feel like I think it I think something that actually acting taught me was that um because I think something that a lot of actors have to do is have a side hustle, mm. but um when I learned all the different side hustles that I could have, it kind of opened me up to this idea that um you know you can you can build your own life a little bit, like acting so sparse here and there. Yeah. Um, and the way that people were being creative with the careers that they had on the side um, were so cool. I was like, we grow up with these like five different jobs, it's like lawyer, teacher, policeman. <laughs> I don't know. Astronaut was one of them. <laughs> um and like ballerina. I don't know. Journal- I-, I wanted to be a journalist when I was a kid. Um, but yeah, you grow up with these like five five careers or something that you're told about. And then when you discover in life the variety of jobs and mm. the variety of ways that you can make an income for yourself, um, that's kind of freeing in a way um, from this idea that uh, like you have to have one career, or that you have to do one thing. Yeah. Um, and I think I think that's built. Sadly, it's built into creative careers because creative careers don't offer a lot of stability. Mm. And you know, the government does not fund that in this country, um, as we saw during COVID. What's
0: a, what's a government we have in Australia? <laughs> I don't know this government.
1: <laughs> Let's get into politics. I've got... <laughs> We've got. Done... <laughs> oh gosh hit all the major topics now what's the next one like religion the, yeah it's, <laughs> oh god <laughs>
0: <laughs> I agree um, with you I agree with you as well like I think I think that's something yeah it's a it's an issue like in itself but it's also you know there's a lot of you know I guess good things that have come out of Having lots of small jobs?
1: Yeah, you're much more versatile as a person. I guess you much more adaptive. Resourceful, I think that's the word I'm looking for. You're definitely more resourceful. I've come, psych actually, funnily enough, is a career where um, a lot of people end up with like three different jobs or two different jobs. Because I think a lot of people see psychologists as just doing clinic work like five days a week and then going home on the weekends. But um, clinic work is tough. And, you know, like I think over time people kind of mix it up. They like do three days of clinic work and then they'll do work at this institute or they might do some lab work on the side. You know, there's – yeah, it was kind of like a nice mix actually thinking about psych because I was like I feel more resourceful coming out of a creative career um, that I feel like I can approach this in a different way. And it also made me more of an – like consider more of like entrepreneurial – like mm it, that kind of lit up that side of my brain cuz I'm I'm a very structured person I think that's what I found really difficult about creative careers is um I like like to you know someone to give me like a <laughs> like give me a timetable of my my next 5 years you know like what's that going to look like um and you know similar like nine to five job would have been perfect for me if I was actually if I actually wanted to do a nine to five job um but you know, I think uh, that taught me that the career taught me that it's actually okay, and there there's actually so much fun and not fun, but like there's there's so much more out there, yeah, it's variety, I should say in uh in life uh it doesn't have to be so structured for it to be um you know not like meaningful but like it doesn't have to be scary that's what i'm trying to say it doesn't have to be scary to not have structure or to be entre- entrepreneurial like it taught it taught me so much i i'm really grateful for those years that i pursued acting so um if you want to pursue a creative career i'd say go for it it's not that scary it's it's a big shift but it's like one of the best things I ever did.
0: That's the best thing as well. Like, I mean, also it's interesting that you say all that because do you think what's, where do you see yourself in the next 10 years? Like, where do you see that trajectory for yourself?
1: I think I've let go of it. I, I I think there would have been a time in my life when I would have had a five year, 10 year plan. Hmm. Um, but I think one of the things, um, that I've learned is that you can have a, basic kind of idea of where you're going but you shouldn't be wedded to that yeah um i'm waiting a little bit until the end of this year to get a better sense of what like where my passions lie within psychology i'm very interested in like couples therapy and forensic psychology and family therapy and couples therapy family therapy similar domain forensic psychology is like all the way over here (laughs) <laughs> um, so, you know, I could, once I decide on that, it'd be much easier to set a five-year plan, but I'm actually okay with not having that plan. Yeah. Um, because I feel like, um, the last two years have not been conducive to anybody's five-year plan. And, um, sometimes that's great to have a, like a shake up, but I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant to set some, set some boundaries right now yeah I think I just want to be open to what's going to happen and go with that you know I still have my agents I'm still doing auditions at the same time yeah um but yeah who knows who really knows (laughs) five to ten years my gosh I want to live overseas at some point that's something that I definitely want to do oh really hopefully yeah yeah I mean like what would you say if I asked you what's your five to ten year plan (laughs)
0: Uh, that's a <laughs> – throw the question right back at me. Um, like, uh, to be honest, probably the one thing definitely is probably to have a family. Oh, okay. Uh, live overseas is another one. Mm. And, I mean, like just – um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it would be definitely, you know, consider stuff like into, you know, things that I, I'm passionate about now and mm. – doing them as main source of income hmm. but also just living a very happy and healthy life but I'm like, I'm like you I just can't make long term plans unless it's within the <laughs> year um and it's just everything that's happened in my life it's kind of always just happened and it's either good or bad uh, <laughs> i think you know it's 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 just a funny world and i think that i've just got to be grateful for every moment that is good in it all Mm. because, you know, life, you know, life is long and life is short and depending on which end of of it is you're at. Um, and from my perspective, yeah, there's just a lot of things I'm very grateful for and I'm grateful for my family, Mm. um, for my friends and the support network that I have, Mm. but as well as just the, um, like career and, and life that I've had. Mm. And I think whatever shape and form that takes in the future will be the exciting thing. Like I don't, yeah, I'm like you, I just don't know. Um, yeah. I've got little goals, but I, I mean like every year I set up a goal and it changes.
1: Totally. I think I have a lot of short-term goals. Yeah. Um, I think I think actually when you're talking about like being grateful and that kind of thing, I think a lot of that reminded me that a lot of my goals probably focus a little bit more on my self-development or being closer to my values. Um, and where that takes me, I don't really mind. But um, it's been a big couple years of self-growth and um, development for me. And yeah, like last year, that was a lot of it was was being grateful on a daily basis for the things, for the little things. And this year it's been more towards like, um, how close will I be to being more courageous in the next year, or how close will I be towards people pleasing less in the next, you know, year, or that kind of thing. And um, that doesn't mean that I'm waiting. I'm not like, life's on hold until I can finish these behaviors, but yeah, that seems like a more tangible goal. Alongside like finishing my master's or, you know, doing my internship next year or, um, you know, I think, I think it's good to have goals. I think they drive you and can help you make things happen. Um, But I also think that what you're talking about, like the, um, the value for, for what you have right now is really important. and being grateful every day for those things um is is really important for your mental health so sounds like you're on a very good track
0: well i mean lots of it is years of self-growth <laughs> and, and therapy yeah. um
1: <laughs> oh yes i'm a big uh, i don't know if i don't know if this is a shock but i i'm big uh, like a, I'll, I'll shout therapy from the rooftops Definitely do therapy. <laughs> What's your opinion
0: that everyone needs therapy? Because I think that everyone does. And people who say, I've got no trauma, I'm like, you are <laughs> clearly lying. Oh,
1: my gosh. I actually had had this conversation recently. I can't remember which friend I had this conversation with, but I, um, I was of the opinion that everybody needs therapy, but I don't know how much I believe that anymore. Um, I think that therapy can come in many forms. Mm. Um, I think people take a lot of solace in like spirituality um, and, you know, religion. And some people were brought up really well. I had a friend who um, a lot of the things that I was learning in therapy were like intuitive to him. So that was really confusing for me. I would say that everybody can get something out of therapy. Yeah, but I I wouldn't say that everybody needs therapy. Um, I think when somebody comes to therapy, most of the time it's because they're experiencing distress, yes, um, of some kind, or they've been told they have to come there, or they're mandated to come to therapy. And um, you know, I think if if you're not experiencing distress and you have really good coping mechanisms, you probably don't need to come to therapy. But I, that's not to say that there's nothing you can get out of therapy. <laughs> I mean,
0: I, I think you can get... Like, I remember years ago, and this was before I did therapy and everything, and, uh, yeah, everyone was, like, telling me I needed therapy. And I think one of my friends in high school was, like, you clearly either have bipolar or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was officially diagnosed with anxiety and depression, mm-hmm. so it has, like... It has had an actual diagnosis, but um, you know, it it is interesting because I think um, I didn't realize how much of it was ingrained behavior mm. from just that. And and I will say this: it probably did come from a lot of trauma of not being accepted when I was a kid mm. and everything like that. But yeah, it's you know, little things like um, my partner and I—we're just big advocates for you know therapy and helping and, mm. you know, supporting other people and everything like that. And, you know, that sympathy, because I feel like a lot of people have anxiety mm. or have like worries. And like, I think my mum does. <laughs> I've worked that out recently. I'm like, oh, you are an anxious person. Mm-hmm. Um, but she'll never say it. She, were, you know, she probably won't even acknowledge it. But um, yeah, it is interesting because I think when there are some people who I definitely think don't need therapy. I do. Um, I do think that as well. And I think it's, they can actually get through life with, you know, just doing things through spiritual, you know, meditation or however they choose. But I also think that some people just dismiss therapy as an option. And yeah, I think definitely that kind of, to me is crazy Yeah, because I'm like, it was so beneficial for me.
1: It's a, it's a tough, um, it's, it's, it's tough to get people because it, therapy is not beneficial if you don't want to be there. In my opinion, you can't you can't give somebody therapy if they're not um, well, like not in terms of interventions. You can't yep. start implementing intervention uh, at like a like a like a proper like there's a different types of therapy like CBT um, narrative therapy level. You're you'll be at the very start if somebody doesn't want to be there. And if somebody's not interested and they're not ready to change. Yeah. You'll be doing basic therapy like just kind of all oh, that sounds difficult tell me more about that for like <laughs> sessions and sessions and sessions because they they won't want to um there's no use for it so no um i think there is a long way to go in terms of um getting therapy to be less uh my, like a taboo thing to talk about yeah or to do i i know definitely in my circles of friends People are very casual about therapy. <laughs> oh, you know, I'm just going to see my therapist like tomorrow. Yeah. Um. Well, what did you talk about? Oh, this week we spoke about that. You know, like it's, it's getting yeah. very casual. But then there, like my father <laughs> would never go to. I don't think he would ever go to therapy, for example. Really? Yeah, I don't think he would. I think it's a, a generational thing. Like, um, and I mean, I reckon even when I was a kid. Um, when you found out somebody was going to therapy, you would think that there was something wrong. And yeah. I was having this conversation with someone, was it today, maybe, or where if someone says, when you say to somebody, oh um, well, yeah, it was today I was having this conversation. When you say to somebody, I think you should talk to someone that makes people feel like there's something wrong with me, you know? Yeah. Um. That's a, that's, a hard conversation to have with somebody, and it's a hard thing to receive. Um, so, yeah, I think that when even just thinking about that shows that there's a long way for us to go in terms of making therapy like a like a more normal thing. I think we're very used to relying on our friends as therapists, and i'm I'm very anti that. I feel like if you're having an issue that's beyond your friend's capacity, you should mm. really consider taking that to a therapist because your your friends aren't therapists. They're not being paid. <laughs>
0: <laughs> even if they were, they're not trained therapists. They're, they're not, not
1: trained. There's a lot of research. I think I don't know if a lot of research, but I've read research that that shows the differences between um like well-being in and their and therapists who are paid and unpaid. Yeah. Um and I don't know I <laughs> they haven't even done the research on people who aren't therapists and are unpaid, so I assume it's not good.
0: (laughs) Is that my favorite image of just this article just writing a full thing of... So these students who aren't therapists, who are studying something irrelevant, decided to be therapists in charge.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I wonder actually if you paid somebody to sit down and listen, even if they weren't a therapist, they probably would have better outcomes, I'd say. I, I think you have to it takes a toll it really takes a toll on people to hear um painful stuff yeah particularly from people's their people's from from folks that they uh care about yes you know it's
0: yeah. a, that's 100% i think it's like it's yeah it always kind of like I think even when I go and see my therapist, and normally you do the, hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Kind of thing. (laughs) You know they're not really going to talk much about themselves. (laughs) And it's like that awkward thing where you just go, all right. I don't want to exactly like talk for an hour, (laughs) but you're kind of what you're paying for.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I don't know. I don't know about you. I love talking in therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Really unload. Maybe because I don't. Um, unload that much on my friends uh, I feel actually no that's not true I'm a very open person but I feel like I won't unload on my friends unless I have a solution Like it's more of like a hey I'm going through this but don't worry I've solved it already just listen to what I have to say
0: <laughs> listen to how I did it and
1: yeah. then... <laughs> just letting you know what's going on with me right now <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, oh my
0: god this time that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, but <laughs> what does before that mean? we wrap up, though, I, I want <laughs> before we wrap up, um, I wanted, I want to touch briefly on social media and stuff because how do you expect in the next few years for you to use social media as, um, mainly as an acting profile? Are you going to have one profile that's acting related and one profile that's psychology related, mm. and write in the little blurb that is sometimes actor? Like I don't know. What's your therapist on television?
1: (laughs) I I really loved – I love a lot of um, psychologists on Instagram. Yeah. But I'm also – I'm not sure about the whole, like, mental health culture on Instagram um, because I feel like the the little sound bites can sometimes be really um, not helpful to people. Mm -hmm. Um, But, like, at the same time, I've gotten some of the best advice um or like book recommendations Mm. uh through instagram from therapists on instagram and some great messaging out there but um you know anybody can say that they're a mental health practitioner on instagram and put it out there so (laughs) i mean i was thinking for a while about having a psychology instagram but i'm not really sure what that's going to look like because because of that because i don't want to yeah add to the to people like putting little soundbats out there. I don't know if you can tell from this conversation, but I have a really hard time <laughs> setting down like concrete opinions about things <laughs> because I'm very open to the idea that I could be wrong <laughs> about things <laughs> at any at any one point. And I, um, the world is changing all the time. I feel like information d- might not be that that way. In I mean, like psychological. Research is exactly like that. Like you think one thing and then five years later, it's completely different. And so yeah, if I was to do an Instagram, I would be like, oh, I'm afraid to put anything up there because like, what if it's not right? <laughs> what it yeah. Changes? <laughs> um, but I definitely have my acting Instagram, um, Dorita Winslow. It's just my full name. Um, and, and my personal Instagram, which I don't actually post that much on ever, but it's private. So I don't. Don't go there. <laughs> don't. don't. Um, but yeah, watch out. I'll watch this space. We'll see if I can um, think of a of a very uh, impartial, diplomatic way to have a psychology <laughs> Instagram. <laughs>
0: oh my god! Can I just say I love that. That is. <laughs> Oh, oh man. It has been an absolute pleasure talking to you for the last hour and a half.
1: Thank you for having me. I I've never done a podcast before and it's been a real a real journey, I'd say. We definitely <laughs> we we traveled the roads today. We went on a road trip.
0: Did you feel like you got a lot out of it?
1: I do. I do. I feel like it was interesting um having to put my thoughts out into the world. <laughs> and um Hearing myself through these headphones is very soothing. I I feel like that's weird. I feel like a lot of people don't think that their voice is soothing, but I think it's the the crackling effect of my voice.
0: You have you have a very soothing voice. I do? Yeah. (laughs) You should hear my psychologist's voice. Oh, my Lord. Um, But, Jorita, thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank
1: you for having me on the Things We Do podcast. On the Things We Do.
0: And, people, if you want to go and check out more episodes of the Things We Do, you can check them out on Apple and Spotify. I'll be speaking with another guest next week, and I'll speak to you all later. Goodbye. (music)